0: The next reading of Holy Scripture comes from Mark chapter 14. And we're going to read um, verses 10 to, to 31. Mark chapter 14. If you'll stand for the reading of Holy Scripture. Mark chapter 14, beginning at verse 10. This is God's word. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out. And went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will, never deny, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. By his grace and mercy may be preached for you. You may be seated. And as we come to consider this portion of God's word, let us pray for his help. Almighty God, how easy is it for us all to turn away from our shepherd that when he was struck, even his closest sheep fell away. Even when they were convinced, they never would. And how similar can we be? How similar are we so often? And we pray for... Your Spirit to come illumine our hearts and minds to understand how to perceive your grace in the Lord Jesus through this passage and how to live in light of it. Overcome the deficiencies of the preacher, they are many. And bless. The reading and the preaching of your holy word to bring forth fruit in our hearts to love you more, to serve you better, and we ask it all for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Uh, This week, I uh, I did a a search online uh, for movies with the the most shocking reveal moments of, of traitors, and it was trying to look for one that kind of everybody would know and that would kind of be the curtain unveiling instance that would resonate. Now, a few instances popped up when I was doing this, but the the one instance, so every list, every list uh, included the classic gangster film, The Godfather Part 2, uh, when Fredo Corleone gives information to a rival crime family. Now, the thing was, at first, I was frustrated because that wasn't what I wanted for my sermon point. It wasn't shocking. It wasn't a surprise reveal. We knew all, if you've seen the movie, we knew all along that Fredo betrayed his family. And and any sense of a, of a gangster film, just even by what it is, makes Fredo's end unsurprising as well. Um, but as I thought about it, as I thought about it, uh, the ending scene where someone takes Fredo out on this small fishing boat while the Godfather watches from the shore as Fredo's story ends, um, may not have been surprising, but it was really haunting. Mark 14, 10 to 31 recounts events swirling around the last Passover that Jesus observed with his disciples as the context for instituting the Lord's Supper. The the events take place as the disciples make preparations for the Passover meal, and Jesus reshapes this meal for use in the new covenant as a celebration of what he achieved for his people now this this passages tense undercurrent concerns how the situation drove towards judas's betrayal we as readers have a bird's eye view of sorts knowing who the traitor is but as Mark helps us perceive, for those present, the situation was much less clear, and, and worry abounded. As develop as the the developing int, uh, awareness of a traitor in their midst hit home. And although, as as we read, we know what's going on and don't find anything particularly surprising. Nevertheless, this situation of betrayal may not be surprising, but it's rather haunting. The story of betrayal is not simply that, though. It calls us to consider our discipleship in serious ways. It it tells us what it means to to belong to the community of Christ. It reminds us to think about Christ's tremendous grace in how, uh, even if in lesser degree than with Judas, he is often betrayed. So the main point is that Christ patiently gives grace to all who belong to him Christ patiently gives grace to all who belong to him And our three points today are magnifying membership and meal So first let's think about magnifying This um, this passage continues events from the beginning of of chapter 14. So back in verse 1, the sort of time frame had been set. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread setting up the events of the Passover right before us. And we saw that, that verses 1 to 11 contain one of Mark's sandwich passages where the quest to kill Jesus, uh, has the the resolution of Judas betraying him. And that story, that that set of events, uh, wraps around, frames out the dinner where the woman anoints Jesus with ointment. And so in that situation, the quest for Jesus' ultimate humiliation uh, puts in sharp relief this, act, uh, this woman's act of ultimate honor at the meal. And as we read on into our passage for today, the, the closing bit of, of that sandwich there in, in verses 10 and 11, um, the, the bottom slice of bread, so to speak, if you will, uh, ends on a note that Judas would betray Jesus. And when we read into verses 12 to 31, we figure out that Mark actually wrote a, a sort of club sandwich. Because, because the closing point of verses 10 and 11, that Judas is the traitor, proves to be the, the middle slice of bread, kickstarting another round of reflection on the contrast of betrayal and, and devotion at a meal. And you can see in the events of Christ's Passover that Judas's full betrayal begins the narrative. The issue of betrayal features strongly in verses 17 to 21. And then the events close with Christ prophesying the other disciples' temporary Betrayal, especially Peter's in verses 26 to 31. Now, one of the things that holistically with this the whole set of the two meals seem to form a contrast in themselves, where the first one, where other people besides Jesus' closest disciples seem to be more in focus, well, focus on his honor, the honor that he receives. And then here at this meal that becomes the covenant meal of Christ's people, the betrayal is in focus. And so we have a contrast of honoring the Lord and turning away from the Lord. But I want to get us to the center issue of of this second sandwich, the one before us. The point centers on Christ's magnificent grace uh, because that central section uh, of the passage before us is the institution and celebration of the Lord's suppers. Notice then that Christ constitutes and bestows this meal of grace for his disciples as betrayal swirls all around him he gives to those whom he knows are turning or about to turn against him. And let's push this a bit further. We, as the reader of this passage, are clued up about Judas' betrayal, that he's the traitor from the beginning. But as their Passover feast gets going... Jesus presses directly into the issue and and it's clear that well those participating don't have as as much insight onto the to the betrayal, who the traitor is and it's striking because it seems like a peaceful setting, doesn't it? and seemingly unprompted, Jesus turns a relaxed dinner into a tense moment by informing them it almost seems out of nowhere truly i say to you one of you will betray me one who is eating with me and as jesus outlines more specific details about this betrayal part of us might be thinking it'd be that it'd be easy to think that this meal was a bait and switch if, if it went a certain way, right? After all, when, when Fredo betrayed the Corleone family, a, a pleasant boat trip uh, turned into an unpleasant send-off. And Jesus might have been, if we, if we don't know how this story ends, Jesus might have been leading up to the big setup to expose the traitor. And as Mark, as Mark tells it, Jesus just moves on. To institute the Lord's Supper, to signify His sacrifice, to forgive sin, so the, the meal of grace still did not diffuse the tension of betrayal here, because He circled back. To see, you know, you might think, okay, well, we heard that hard part, but now we've got the Lord's Supper and that kind of ends it. But Jesus circled back to tell the remaining disciples, you are all going to fall away. And so we see that Jesus, in the midst of knowing a traitor, giving grace, never lost sight as in contrast to how he never fails us. Jesus never lost sight of how his followers fail him. And yet he was still giving them grace. Amid varying degrees of failure, Jesus commits to promising grace and sealing it with his supper. And we need to keep tugging at that thread to see the significance of how the supper as a meal of grace uh, amidst betrayal is magnifying the love and kindness of Christ. And that brings us to our second point, membership. Membership. And, and here, um, I, I want to pull on the, the Judas side of this passage. And it's interesting, John, John 13 gives us a, a fuller account of the interaction that that Mark describes in verses seventeen to twenty-one. So, so in Mark, um, I, I don't think we I, I don't think we should try to sort of uh, harmonize them always. But sometimes the 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 different emphases and the different gospels in, instruct us about what actually one writer is trying to get across. So in Mark, the setting remains vaguer. Um, not, in Mark, not explicitly drawing attention to Judas uh, as the events of the meal uh, unfold. And so in, really, at any, I mean, we know it at the beginning of the Passover account, but but that isn't clear as this passage unfolds. In John 13, 21 to 30, Jesus says that he's going to give a, a piece of bread to his betrayer and then he hands it to Judas. And then Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he, Judas, immediately went out. Jesus sends him away. Now, although John's gospel doesn't record Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper with our you know, words of institution as we have it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, so that bit is missing from that account. Best I can line up the narratives about the Supper, Jesus sent Judas away before he constituted the new covenant meal. And, and that's a revealing occurrence. We see in Christ sending Judas out, we see in that act, the, the grounds for fencing the table around the supper so that only those who are members in good standing of a proper church should receive the elements of the Lord's Supper. Now, given that today, Is is a wonderful day when we get to welcome new members as members into our church. I I think we this gives us a, a good moment to ask, what does it mean to be a member in good standing? Well, in the church, in the church we gain access to the Lord's table by professing faith in Jesus Christ. Um, Professing faith in a way that's recognized by the the church body. Now, the thing is, God can perfectly see your heart, but the elders of the church cannot uh, infallibly, we cannot infallibly look into your soul. And so we on our side of that equation, go on the basis of a credible profession of faith, meaning that you've shown you understand the gospel, want to state publicly that you believe in Jesus, and you want to be in in fellowship with his people. Sometimes, professing believers professing believers embrace a consistently sinful lifestyle, right? Meaning, meaning that their, their pattern is steadily sinful. I, I'm not talking about like the occasional and, and differentiating failures. I'm talking about a persistent sin where people are refusing to repent of it and, and turn back on to godliness. And that sort of persistent sin that the elders have to address. And if someone refuses to repent, I mean, this is, I, I, hope you, I hope you sense that I'm trying to explain this carefully so that there's, there's a good uh, understanding before us. So if someone refuses to repent, which is not the same as making a mistake one time, those are very different. If someone refuses to repent, we have to conclude that we can no longer believe their profession of faith. It's, it's no longer credible as a profession. We don't know their hearts infallibly, but what we do know is we can't believe this profession anymore. And so their claim to believe in Jesus is no longer Credible And that refusal, refusal to repent, uh, resulting in a claim to faith that cannot be believed, means that we have to bar them from the table. Perhaps, perhaps, eventually, removing them from membership altogether, if they, if they persist in their refusal to repent. And so, if someone falls under this discipline they are no longer a member in good standing. They are a member under corrective discipline. Um, and one of the things that comes out of that, right, is, is that, I mean, when we, when we fence the table and we might use that language of um, if you're a member in good standing, the thing is, uh, as should be clear at this point, is if you're not a member in good standing, it will be very clear to you. <laughs> Uh, you would know that these very difficult conversations had had taken place, and that you are refusing to turn away from that sin and here in in the passage though judas Judas was committed to betraying jesus he didn 't have a momentary lapse he, he he brokered a deal for money to betray. Christ and he followed through all the way to the end over, over the the course of time elapsing and Jesus had Jesus had infallible knowledge of Judas's heart seeing that Judas was sold entirely unto his sin and so he sent him away from the supper of grace that he was about to institute, blocking him from this meal for Christians. The way you're going to betray me, go and do it. Do it quickly before before I give this meal to those who are not betraying me like this. And Jesus then shows the importance, I think, of right church membership. We need to be under Christ's authority by being connected to his body, the church, as professing members accountable to one another, believers must be part of christ 's church and this is, I mean the simple sort of takeaway out of this i, I don 't know of a real way to to recognize which is not to say where they stand, but I don't know of a real way to recognize someone as a Christian unless they're a member of a church, because I'm a Christian. Who says? (laughs) Well, I do. Well, there are lots of people who say that. Um, Being connected to Christ's body in professing the faith and in having our profession of faith recognized is the way we become recognized members of the body of Christ. The Belgic Confession summarizes this point really well in Article 28. We believe, since this holy assembly and congregation is the assembly of the redeemed, and there is no salvation outside of it, that no one ought to withdraw from it, content to be by himself. So that's different than transferring to another church, right? Uh, No one ought to withdraw from it, content to be by himself, no matter what his status or standing may be. But all and everyone are obliged to join and unite with it, maintaining the unity of the church. So we need to be part of a church. That's, that's the point, officially. And so it's, it's, the Lord is kind, isn't he? It's a wonderfully blessed thing to have church membership and And it's a a wonderfully blessed thing to receive people coming into membership today and to take the lord's Supper as members of one body together. That brings us to our final point meal the meal and so i mean we we were in the last point just reflecting upon these events by by using additional information from, from John's gospel about how Jesus sent Judas away from the supper. And you know, I think that that's useful to see kind of some of the things that that we can understand by comparing them. But, but we do need to think about what effect Mark wants his gospel to have upon readers as he made the, the decision, under the Spirit's inspiration, made the decision... To leave out that information, what effect does he want us to to feel by the way he's presented this and Mark's presentation of the Passover and institution of the Lord's Supper, what hangs thick with a a cloud of uncertainty uh, about who the traitor is, they don't know and interesting i mean even john's gospel said that even after jesus told judas to leave and kind of made it obvious the disciples still didn't understand that judas was the traitor even after he left which which confirms that their perspective during this meal was vague they didn't have a grasp on the significance of everything that was happening now it's interesting how Jesus' statement that, that someone will betray him prompts verse 19. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? Now, we, we as readers, we know that the betrayal is already in motion. They didn't. And, and each wondered if they would become the traitor. It shows us something that, that strikes home to us all. Every, every conscience among the disciples was, was pricked Because every Christian knows that we have moments where we betray Jesus. Christians know that that we each are personally prone to turning against Christ. Even, Even when that sin is not fully turning away from him in in this permanent fashion like Judas, the the consummate traitor. But Jesus said they would all fall away with Peter becoming this self-confident unto his shame example. And yet, he's an example of how we each succumb. To temptation. right? Uh, like Fredo's departing scene, our tendency to wander from the Lord is haunting. And so we see in light of kind of well that negative side of it we see that this passage positively is about Christ's faithfulness to give extravagant grace even when we are unfaithful. As Jesus quoted Zechariah 13:7 to 9, when when the shepherd was struck, the sheep scattered. And he's talking about how as he's seized, as he's crucified, while the disciples are going to run away, they're going to turn their back on him, even deny him. They fell, and we're so easily like them. The reality of, of our sinfulness, though is exactly why we cannot overlook why the shepherd was struck in the first place. Zechariah 13.1 sets that striking of the shepherd as, as part of the fountain that opened to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. The shepherd is struck so that the waters of forgiveness of sin and the cleansing flow of Christ's blood would be released. And Zechariah 13 closes as the Lord brings His people back and says, even though these sheep scattered, they are My people. And we get to say, yes, this is My God whose saving fountain has brought Me back into the fold. So, Christ gave the Lord's Supper as a meal for those who needed his body to be broken for them. And his blood spilled on their behalf. As Christ gave this meal to those who were about to deny him and fall hard, we see how he is infinitely patient and full of grace Even, if not especially, with those who fail him. Even in our moments of failure. The sheep scattered when the shepherd was struck. Their fellowship broken amidst betrayal, abandonment, and death. But Jesus rose from death and regathered his sheep. We know that the risen Christ does the same for us when we fall and when we fail. After all, Christ knew Peter's weakness better than Peter did. Peter was so confident. I'll not make this mistake. Jesus gave him the supper even before he told him how weak he was about to be. He gave him this bread and this wine, even knowing exactly what Peter was about to do and how how hard he was about to fall. Because Christ is committed to giving grace to those who need him. He gave him this meal that showed his death was the true Passover lamb, that secured safety from death. And Christ frees us in the new Exodus as our great Passover lamb, frees us from slavery to sin, its penalty and its power. Jesus left this meal for his church on, on the day that the sacrifices were made, we're told that, to show that his death is the payment for our sin is the true sacrifice. And this meal is a celebration that Jesus has grace for sinners and includes us in his fellowship. This meal is for those who fall and who need a Savior. It is a meal that is bound, for, it, is, it is for those who are bound to Christ by faith in his church so that we know our fellowship with Him and with one another. We recognize our shepherd as we stand next to sheep whom we know belong to the same shepherd. And so for everyone who comes needing Christ, this meal testifies that He was given for you and gives all of His benefits to you by faith. Let's pray. Father God, we know that we are yet again, even as it seems so pessimistic, but we are the sheep who turn away so quickly. But we are glad that you are the shepherd who stands so close to us. Amidst our falls, amidst our failures, you are faithful always. And you give grace to those who need you and seek after you for our redemption. We're glad for that. We ask for strength that we might turn away from you less and less. That we might walk within the right pen, within the right fences more frequently. And that we would be less eager to escape our shepherd and more eager to stay by his side. But we ask that you assure us of your grace, even when we fall. Build us up in assurance. Show us how we need not cover our failures, because Jesus has covered them in his blood and paid for them all. So that we might belong to you forever. We pray it in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.